You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's a guest speaker. We have Michael Proman, Managing Director at Scrum Ventures. And in this episode, we will talk about the due diligence process of investors. So a lot of founders complain that some investors like to take their time to do their due diligence and run it for months. So in this episode, we'll talk about why is that happening, how to accelerate the process and what to do if your investor keeps telling you that we are looking into your company and we'll get back to you soon. So <laughs> Michael, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Scrum Ventures. Yeah, well, thanks again for, for having me here. Uh, just a, a quick intro. Uh, <clears throat> we'll start with, 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 with me and then I'll, I'll shift topic over to, to Scrum. Uh, so, I'm, as you said, managing director at Scrum, uh, I think, you know, just from an experience standpoint of about 20 years, uh, but kind of seeing things on, on multiple perspectives, which I, I think is kind of invaluable and, and in particular on the entrepreneurial side. So I've, I've kind of sat in those chairs and, and, and been in those trenches. So I, I, I'm a little bit, um, you know, I guess more... Uh, aware of the realities that that early stage founders face and i think you know in general uh, i'd like to see more of that on the venture side because that level um uh of, of kind of understanding will uh, certainly uh make for better investments and, and more importantly just better relationships uh from portfolio support so i uh, started my career out at, in coca-cola uh, in their global sports marketing team and then moved on to the national basketball association so you can kind of see a trend here it seems to be very sports centric uh so yes my background is very uh, sports and entertainment focused uh, i then started my first company called option it uh when i was 28 uh, option it essentially uh, took the idea of options in a financial capacity right so uh the ability to to uh buy uh, a consumer-driven good or service, um, or the ability to buy it, I should say, an option on it. Uh, so we had some intellectual property there. We focused, again, on high-demand items like sports tickets, and in particular, contingency events and postseason events, high-demand uh, uh, events, uh, and ultimately supported kind of two audiences. One was uh, the rights holders, so the teams, leagues, properties, the folks who actually operate those games, and the end user, the fans. Uh, we ended up selling Option It in, in 2011, uh, consulted to the private equity firm that, that purchased the company, and then moved on uh, to a number of other uh, early stage companies in the, in the sports space, um, both as kind of a consultant, uh, as an operator and a partner in, in some cases, uh, and then found my way over to the venture side, which has been an interesting experience um, because, again, I think venture is changing, as you know, right now, almost day to day. And I think at Scrum, uh, we think about those things in a very uh, progressive way, right? We do have funds. We invest. We traditionally invest seed to A. Um, check sizes are somewhere in the half a million to a million dollar range. Uh, we've made about 85, 86 portfolio investments over the lifetime, and we uh, it, we don't lead rounds. We we we're co-investors, uh, and so all of that on its face kind of sounds very you, you know I wouldn't say status quo, but very Bay Area, right? I, you know, it's hard to differentiate. Mm -hmm. what I just described. Um, we get kind of our unique identity in a few different ways. Number one. 
uh, is it through our LP base, right? So they're large Japanese corporations that are our limited partners in our funds. Uh, and then more importantly, I guess I would say is that how do we support those LPs uh, in kind of, I would say, value added ways. And so initially when it was conceived, it was probably seen more as a side hustle, um, right? So working with our LPs, um, helping them uh, connect uh, with high quality companies, but less from an investment lens, more about top line growth and biz dev purposes, right? So kind of playing the role of, of, of curator. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, that was a side business called Scrum Studios. Uh, initially, we started working in, in gaming uh, with Nintendo. We worked with Panasonic. Uh, and then ultimately broadened the, the portfolio a couple of years ago with a pretty um, large scale program with Dentsu and a number of others, SoftBank, Atochu Corporation, CBC, uh, et cetera, in which we, again, uh, focused on the sports and entertainment vertical. Uh, that's kind of where I was brought into the company uh, and, and aggregated what we would look at is kind of not an accelerator, but a large scale community of stage agnostic startups that wanted access to this growth market, wanted access to revenue generating opportunities. And then we were kind of the liaison to that. So, um, scrum studios has evolved. We're now working in a smart city capacity. Uh, we're doing stuff in food tech. We've got, um, a number of other initiatives ongoing. Uh, so 2021 will be a, a big year. Uh, I think, you know, again, why do we do what we do? It's not a distraction from the fund, but it's ultimately a way for us to connect with a very, very broad array of companies. These programs that we execute, you know, they're, they're not your traditional accelerator, right, of 6, 10, 12 companies. Uh, you know, with food tech, it's 85. With Smart City, uh, it's 95 companies. Uh, with sports tech, it was 159. And these are coming from all around the world, right? So, uh, we don't take equity in these companies, which is kind of unique. We don't require any type of relocation. We're not asking for a disproportionate amount of their time. Uh, but what we are enabling in and providing them is, again, access to, to growth opportunities, particularly on the top line. Uh, and so it's kind of refreshing, I think, for founders because it, it gets back to kind of strong fundamentals, product market fit, uh, and things that are going to be uh, certainly needed to raise those growth rounds. Mm -hmm. Got it. Before we move on to the next question, actually, we wanted to follow up on this part that you mentioned that you don't ask for equity. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, we, we do get paid. So it's shocking, right? Um, so we, you know, <laughs> and we're not taking money from the kitty um, that is our fund. So everyone's like scratching their head now and probably thinking like, okay, how does this work? Is this even legal? Uh, and so the, the, the truth is we work with numerous corporate partners in Japan, right? And so very similar to uh, a consulting engagement, say with a McKinsey or a Bain, um, they are helping underwrite these programs, right? So we have no financial liability. And, and because of that, we don't have to ask for equity from startups. Um, by not asking for equity, it also uh, enables us a couple things. Number one, um, it, it's a very two-way conversation, right? And, and we get to really learn about these companies in new and in different ways. Um, I would argue that this is some of the best kind of non-traditional diligence you can possibly have is when you get to know companies, when there's no uh, expectation on either side in terms of investment, but it's really about pure growth. Um, and you can kind of see them in action and they can evaluate you too. Um, and so we use these programs on the studio side, as you can probably imagine, really as a pipeline uh, in, in kind of deal flow 
um, for a lot of the, 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 you know, investments that we're making uh, on, on the primary side of the business. Mm -hmm. So just one last clarification, basically, yeah. uh, your Japanese partners covered those expenses, right? Yeah. So I mean, non-dilutive support from a venture studio to those startups. Correct. I, I mean, nice. again, they are, um, they are trying to connect with companies that can help address pain points or opportunities in their business. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that is a transaction, as you can probably tell, we're providing kind of, uh, curated suggestions, recommendations, and access to this network. Um, they're providing the opportunities and we're kind of that middle layer. So yeah, that's very cool. That's extremely cool. I absolutely love it. So before we move on to the major topic of today's discussion, which is due diligence by venture capitalists, sure. one more question about something that you mentioned a little bit earlier, which is that you're focused on just pure growth. And one thing that you told me on our pre-interview call is that, you know, one of the most important things for a founder to understand is his or her audience. Uh, so the audience of their startup in your understanding, what does it mean to understand your audience? Yeah, I, I mean, it's more than just looking at Scrum and being like, okay, who have they invested in? Um, I can't tell you how many times I get inbounded, right, from from uh, startups that are just looking for capital. And it's just, you know, there's no thoughtfulness that goes into it, right? Um, I think the number one thing is, is you know, know, know who you're talking to, right? Know that I'm an operator, um, that I have that experience. Know my network which is pretty significant, I would say, in particular areas. Um, and so rather than just going in and, and giving me the sales pitch, um, whether it be on funding or otherwise, recognize the fact that this isn't, you know, you, you don't just treat it like, you know, you're asking the bank for a loan or, you know, it's, it's like walk in there and with maybe an expectation of impressing me and, 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 and ultimately saying, hey, listen, if I can just tap into your network, that is value too, right? And and then get to know, I mean, it's a longer term conversation. Um, I know some people are getting term sheets, you know, overnight in some cases, and we move quickly, I would say. But at, at the end of the day, um, it, you know, it's, it, I like developing kind of real authentic relationships. And, and, and so um, if people can understand uh, the value that we bring, and, and in many times that value is not the checkbook. Um, we're not going to mm -hmm. be the check in those rounds, right? Uh, we, we don't lead rounds. Uh, yes, we, we write, you know, sizable checks and it, it's all relative, right? But I think arguably, you know, our biggest asset is how we support our portfolio. And what's interesting is if, if people just ask me for an intro, even if we have no equity in a company or, you know, I'm working on this, what do you suggest? Just ask questions like that. I'm more than happy to do it, even with no equity or skin in the game. Um, again, I find that the best conversations uh, and the best investments, for that matter, are ones in which I can get third-party data points from. So it, it's even in my benefit to help them um, connect to opportunities that may or may not, you know, ultimately uh, materialize, but but ultimately provide um, some really good feedback and data points that we can evaluate. Um, we're, we do like the idea of traction. I think that that's an important kind of attribute for a lot of companies, particularly at that seed to A stage. Um, you have to demonstrate strong product market fit, and you know, and it, it's it, it, that's the easiest way to kind of you know be selective is because a lot of these companies just fundamentally don't have that. Mm -hmm. 
Great. So now that we've covered that as well, um, let's move on to our major topic. Yeah. What is the key thing that you don't like when venture capitalists run their due diligence process? So in their normal standard due diligence process, what are the major points that you really don't like? Yeah, well, I, I think, again, everything's changing. Um, I, I think, you know, if we had this discussion two years ago, it would be a very different uh, conversation. Um, and I think, you know, that's just, you, know, you could blame COVID, but I don't think it's just COVID. I just think in general, there there, there kind of some, been some healthy uh, corrections that have, have gone on in the process. Um, I think VCs in, in many respects um, are, are becoming more versatile, right? It, it's not just about... Um, bringing in some ex-finance or investment bankers to go scout some early stage companies and write some checks. Um, it's about how can we help operationally. So you think about kind of the traditional venture, um, the three S's of, of sourcing, screening, and supporting. Um, I think the, the maybe kind of two years ago, and even to a certain degree today, the traditional approach is typically like a 40-40-20, um, especially amongst co-investors, so people who aren't taking board seats and leading rounds, um, in terms of time allocation, that 40-40-20 uh, split. Um, we're a little bit different at Scrum. Um, and, and, you know, I think that this is a healthy thing. Again, we cast a pretty wide net, right? So, so we're probably, if you wanted to kind of go back to those percentages of sourcing, screening, supporting, we're probably more like a 50-10-40. Um, I, I got to make sure that adds up to a hundred here. My math is really bad, but, uh, <laughs> I, I think it does. uh, but yeah. Um, and, and so what that essentially means is we cast a wide net, right? We we're looking kind of tech agnostically. So we're not just, you, you know, deep tech investors or sports tech investors or this or that we're looking for transformational type of opportunities, right? We're looking for founders that are, um, uh, somewhat aspirational, but at the same time have a proven track record or have, um, you know, kind of strong credentials from, from their previous experiences. Uh, we're looking for founders and companies that um, are reasonably valued. And then of course, that are in these kind of high growth verticals. And so that, that kind of goes back to the 50% and some of that deal flow, as I said before, comes from our studio initiatives, which is super helpful. Uh, I would say that then there's a pretty, sizable drop off right between the companies that we try to take a look at and the ones that we actually move into to you know true diligence on uh and that represents that 10 percent. so when when we start diligencing companies you know it, it's kind of like hey listen this is this is super interesting we're not going to waste our time because we do spend a considerable amount of time on the diligence phase mm -hmm. uh, internally um it, the, the work that goes in the, the thoughtfulness the reference calls everything that, that that kind of uh gets us to a decision and then let's say we do invest in that company um again we don't take board seats we're probably a very small portion of the final round itself in most cases uh, but the amount of support that we're providing our portfolio is we, we, we kind of punch above our weight, I would say, um, on that. And I think, that, again, that that's just a, 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 a kind of a trademark of how we're comprised as, as an organization. We have people that come from diverse networks, communities, different areas of focus, skill sets. Um, and I think ultimately that's where we look to kind of create more street cred. Um, is the the ability to support in a meaningful way 
We know that founders are, are kind of always resource constrained, whether it be cash or actually people. Um, and we know that it's more than just lobbing in an intro here and there. It's it's let's roll up the sleeves. Let's kind of um, kind of be worker bees, so to speak, with our portfolio, um, because we ultimately know that, you know, at least we believe uh, if you're not all in on, on the companies. And when I say all in, I mean, you know, being able to uh, kind of, uh, I, I guess, commiserate with them and, and, and understand the highs and lows and, and how to get them to better places. It's like, why are you even writing a check in the first place? Um, you know, if you can't add any value, I, I would say you're probably making the wrong investment. So um, that's kind of how we look at the world as, as far as kind of how we operate and work with startups. Um, yeah, does that answer your question there? A hundred percent. And I feel like you should definitely meet uh, Shruti from Array Ventures because she was telling me exactly the same thing just yesterday that, you know, if you're not fully committed to, to a company, what's, what's the whole point of the startup thing then? Like, why do you even do this? Yeah. Go to private equity, like getting the public markets. So well, yeah. And sorry to cut you off there, but I, I think you just meant you, you nailed it. Right. I mean, I think private equity has gotten a really bad rap over the years, right? Because, you know, just generally speaking, the industry just pumps uh, a lot of debt on the balance sheet and then just tries to spin something off and it doesn't seem very genuine. Um, but I think there are elements of the private equity approach that are super interesting and could be applied on the venture side. And it's some of the stuff that we're already doing, right? Is that could we, in some cases, insert ourselves into the team on a more operational day-to-day -day level, right? Kind of um, add value and, and, and gain kind of invaluable layers of Intel by way of doing so. Um, and so I like that personally, I, I love the ability to not just write a check, um, but also like have established kind of KPIs that we need to achieve with that company, um, and, 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 and take some, some deep levels of accountability. Now, obviously with that comes opportunities to, to diversify revenue streams, right? I mean, it, it, as you can probably guess, you know, we take a management fee, just like every most funds, I should say. Um, but are there ways to kind of bring that um, revenue stream more downstream, um, you know, so to speak, and, and localize it at the company level? And those are all things we're exploring. And I think that is the future of venture, right? Is that it's not just about the two and 20 or two and a half and 20 model and writing checks and hopefully something hits. It's about, kind of what are those side hustles um, that you have? Uh, and, and not so much, you know, I, I, it kind of sounds derogatory, but like, you know, the side hustles in some cases are not only going to be your differentiating qualities as a venture firm, but they're also going to probably support the overall objective. And that's ensuring that the portfolio is successful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right, 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 right. So, one more question is on due diligence process, specifically from the founder perspective. Let's say that a founder is dealing with a venture capitalist that is reviewing their company and is telling them, you know, we're running our due diligence process and it's been already a month and the founder has no idea, you know, what's going on. How, how can the founder accelerate this process of due diligence when in reality, most likely is just an investor just waiting to see who else joins the round? How can founder deal with this stuff? Yeah, I, I mean, I, again, we try not to start diligence on companies um, unless a lead investor has already been established, right? And because for that exact point, um, it's not in our best interest 
to start poking and prodding and asking questions uh, and and being a proctologist here, um, unless you know we're ready to write a check. And the only like prerequisite we have in most cases are: Have you established a lead investor, or is there an actual term sheet, right? Um, and you know, so I think this is a two-way street, right? VCs owe it to founders to be thoughtful, responsive, um, and all of those things. But at the same time, you know, founders need to understand like, how do I sequence this, right? Like, do I know that Scrum is probably not going to write a check until I've already established a lead or I have a, you know, somebody's already, you know, drafted a term sheet, right? Um, that that's probably the case, right? So I. I, mm -hmm. I put people in positions um, to kind of be accountable, I would say, is, is kind of my um, you know, two, two cents of advice. Um, you know, we're going to be very thoughtful about that too. We're not going to, you know, we're going to be very upfront and say certain things. We're not going to go down the road and then be like, hey, I'll give you a call back, you know, in two months. Because in some cases, right, the lead investor may be the the thing that pushes us over the goal line or the thing that, tells us not to invest in some cases, right? So we need that layer of intelligence um, to make a, a qualified decision uh, in, in, those, in those situations. I mean, there might be companies that we speak to, right, in that sourcing phase that are really early on. Um, and, and look at the, those conversations kind of, it's not gonna be one conversation, of course. Um, so, so let's make it succinct, give me what I need, understand, let me know where you're at in the process, have you established a lead? Have you not? Um, you know, would you like, you know, a few recommendations on folks that we've worked with? Um, are there other ways that we can be supportive and helpful to your business? I, I mean, honestly, I look at kind of intro calls with, with startups as, you know, to be honest, it's, it's more of a benefit to them than it is us in some cases. I'm hopeful that a founder will walk away from that call with maybe three new biz dev leads um, that are going to get warm introductions to, um, and, and potentially a few other recommendations on the raise side. Uh, and so we look at a lot of those things is, is kind of like, I, I hate equating it to like office hours, but like, we're willing to give our time. We do that because we believe in, you know, establishing, you know, longer term relationships with founders, ones that, you know, don't seem very transactional. Um, because, and then we'll go get pitched in, in, in a very transactional way and it'll rub people the wrong way. Right. And so, you know, there are VCs out there. I don't want to speak for the whole venture community, right. That it is transactional and it's like, come at me when you're ready and ready to go and, and, and bam. And then there's, there's kind of us. It's like, Hey, listen, I want to get, I get to know you. I want to, um, help you. Um, uh, right. So that even if we don't write a check, you can at least walk away from the conversation and being like hell, we just got, you know, this was really, really kind of valuable uh, in other capacities beyond just, you know, fundraising. Mm -hmm. Right. And yes, hopefully every single founder after a conversation with the venture capitalist is like, okay, they did not invest, but at least they gave me real good feedback that you know, moves me forward. So on this positive note, let's talk about something else that's really positive, which is alternative to venture capital money. So <laughs> on our pre-interview call, you mentioned that sometimes you actually uh, recommend founders to go out and look for alternative sources of capital other than angel investors or VCs. So could you yeah. name a few that you would highly recommend to those, uh, especially early stage founders? 
Well, it, it you know, I think one thing that gets overlooked a lot is uh, debt capital. I mean, it depends on what kind of business you're in, right? Um, you know, if, if you're raising capital to go, you know, buy up, you know, components or this or that, venture might not, it may sound like the right approach, but it may be absolutely the wrong approach, right? I mean, given the debt markets right now and given how low interest rates are, um, you may be better qualified there than, than anywhere else, right? And, and, you know, I think there are other ways of, of looking at, you know, why do you need to raise capital? You, do you need to do it because you got to keep the lights on? Um, do you need to do it because it, you know, you're, you're, you're essentially, you know, feel like this is the role of a startup. I'm always in raise mode. Um, it, you know, I think you have to first ask yourself kind of what are the real needs and, and then, you know, look at those needs and then, you know, draw a conclusion of what's the right outlet for those needs. Um, and, and how long can I prolong a runway? Um, how strategic do I want to be, right? I mean, it's there's so much dumb money out there right now. If if the end game is just about, you know, putting more more coins in the bank, I mean, I'm sure you can achieve that if you're willing to give up a certain percentage of your company. Um, but I, I would really strongly encourage people to think about the money, think about where it's coming from, think about um, it, it kind of in some cases. Uh, you know, where are you going to put that money to work? Um, and those are kind of signals in my mind uh, of, of, you know, a healthy company versus one that, you know, is, is just kind of a follower and, and, and looking to do things in a very status quo way. Right, 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 right. And yes, that is absolutely great, to be honest. And yes, you're absolutely right. A lot of people completely ignored because, you know, oh, startups, that's not for that. That's for VCs. That's not exactly how it works. So I'll make sure to include a link to a really cool episode with the, I believe it was white vice president of Wells Fargo. So if you're curious to hear more about debt financing and how it can apply to your particular situation, definitely check out the description of this episode. Uh, the link is going to be there. And on this note, we are moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So Michael, uh, what do you want the listener to do right after the episode is over? Probably drink heavily. I don't know. I mean, it, <laughs> at this point, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't have, I'm, I'm not the guy who stands on a soapbox and tries to, to provide, you know, wisdom and advice. Um, although it may have sounded like it for the last 20 some minutes. Um, it, you know, <laughs> I, again, I, I would really look at a couple things, right? Um, everybody's really focused. Uh, at least you need to be when you're just getting started. Um, but I think one of the big things for me personally is, is looking at kind of what is the, what is kind of the next six months look like? And then what's the next 12 and then what's the next call it 24 to 36 months, provide a vision that is realistic, but at the same time, potentially aspirational, right? That shows kind of how this is going to take over the world. Um, but don't get caught up in that vision. Right. I mean, you need to execute right like day to day, hour to hour to be able to kind of establish that. Um, and so what I mean by all this is, is that, you know, showcase for me, it doesn't have to be massive. Right. It could be POCs. It could be, um, you know, small partnerships. Um, 
that your product, that your company can diversify. Um, I know everyone is so hyper-focused on be targeted, be focused, do all this, you know, like, and I get it, right? You only have so many resources, you can't be scattered. That looks bad. You're all over the map. But, you know, if, if COVID has, has kind of taught us anything, it's created some significant barbells in venture, right? Is that, you know, you have the winners and you have the losers. Um, there's not a lot of companies that are kind of in the middle, I would say. Um, you're either on one end of the spectrum or the other. And, um, you know, and that's to be expected. Our, our portfolio is a reflection of that. We've had some outstanding performances in our portfolio in the last 12 to 18 months because the companies have either been able to um, address real societal issues uh, that have been uh, brought on by COVID or they've been able to pivot. Um, and I think, you know, just it goes back to what we look for in founders. We look for founders who are dynamic, who have diverse experience, who have diverse networks, such that they probably uh, know ways to establish revenue in diverse ways. Um, and, and so talk to me about that. Talk to me about how, yeah, this is going to be relevant to the health and wellness industry, but you know what? I see aging as a, a major pain point in certain markets and we can address something for seniors, right? Um, that this can be both kind of a B2B and a B2C model. Show me those types of visions. Um, maybe it's it's a small scale proof point or pilot that, that demonstrates that. Um, I, we're not always you know, gonna be like, hey, we need to see 10 million in ARR type of things to write a check or even a million in some cases, although that would be nice. Um, you know, what we do need is, is, is validation and traction. Um, and, you know, again, if you can demonstrate that in a diverse way, um, numerous industries, uh, we're, we're in many cases that helps us de-risk a lot of the investments because, uh, you know, investing is, is, is kind of like, you know, it's, it's all about kind of avoid the landmines, right. And, and de-risk as much as you can. I mean, that's, you know, the one thing I have learned, um, kind of why you, you hire lawyers, right? You know, they're there basically to, to, to kind of, you know, make sure that they mitigate risk. Um, and if we can establish that and you can, you can show me that this is not risky and that this is high growth, um, then we're on to something. So, uh, just think about kind of think about that. Think about, you know, you don't want to be the, you know, eight or nine out of 10 investments that don't pan out for this VC. Um, you want to be the, the, you know, the one or two that, you know, go on to be unicorns. Uh, and so how do you help establish that level of trust right at the beginning of the conversation? Right. Perfect. Absolutely. Love that, you know, demonstration of validation and traction in a really diverse way. This is super interesting and yes, super useful. So we're going to wrap up the episode here. My call to action is going to be go to the description of this episode. I'll make sure to leave Michael's LinkedIn, also a link to Scrum Ventures and also a link to that episode that I mentioned earlier about uh, debt financing for startups. And by the way, I double checked. It was managing director of Wells Fargo, not vice president. So do that. Check out the description of this episode and as usually have a good day.